to Teach the Word. Thank you for joining. Today's topic is sanctification or the change process in the life of a believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you asking for your help. I come before you and though if, if those who watch this video, we together come before you asking for your help to uh, understand sanctification, to understand how you affect or work change in the life of believers in our own lives. So we just come, I come, I ask for your power to be able to speak your word, bring forth your word, Let your let truth be proclaimed, Father God, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the biblical process of change in the believer's life? How does it work? Um, there's a tension in change in the believer's life because uh, you have some kind of a portrayal of uh, a slow process, uh, a healing process, akin to physical healing where there's uh, a lot of time that's taken and uh, scars remain and there's binding up of, of a wound and there's dressing of bandages day by day and, and uh, Then you have a portrayal of a process that is uh, instantaneous. Uh, kind of like miraculous. Uh, I once uh, used a riverbed analogy where you have the water moving day by day, slowly carving out different things in the bed of the river. And then you have rushing torrents, which powerful storms, which rage through and in a moment of time, in an instant, completely reshape the riverbed, the contour of the bottom of the river. And uh, it would seem in the experience of many believers, and in the what what is found in Scripture, that both go on, um, so it becomes difficult, or maybe controversial, to talk about the change process in the life of the believer, or the doctrine of sanctification, because you may find a person or a group of people have a tendency or a desire to focus more on one aspect or one portrayal of change than another or focus on one to the exclusion of the other. So that's by way of introduction to the topic of why maybe why it's important, um, why it could become controversial, why it could cause 
tension. You can see how it could be problematic if a believer comes to God expecting some kind of instantaneous, you know, uh, hurricane version of change, and they don't get it. And they don't realize the daily dressing of, of, of wounds and the slow healing process and the work involved. And they walk away from the faith or from the gospel saying there's no power in it or change is not here. So I think that's enough of my own talking to start off with. Let's look at um, some scripture. What do we have? Well, why don't we look in Romans 6 to start us off. What then? This is the uh, second half of the chapter. So verses starting in verse 15, probably read down to the end of the chapter. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, have your, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, uh, another aspect of this is it, it, you have uh, it, the language of, of it being talked about as, as a done deal in the past, or sometimes it's spoken about as going on in, in the present, and then sometimes even as a future event. Uh, so... Here you have uh, past, some, some elements of this past, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. So past, 
present, future may be all in one verse. The past being set free, presently the fruit in our life is holiness. And the end result here is everlasting life. That's Romans 6, 22. Look at 19. Seems a lot like a present event. Uh, verse 19 of what I just read. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness for countering Christ's gospel before becoming a believer and members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now, in the present, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You see the present your members is a uh, active thing, an action taken by the believer, uh, but it's not. It doesn't. It's not really a solo operation because <clears throat> we're not really able to pull ourselves up. It's not a moral improvement program. Christianity. It's a rescue from the outside into our lives. It's the power of God at work. Um, we can see this more. In other verses, but uh, oh, let's just for now look at uh, let's look at First Thessalonians chapter four, where we'll see this talked about the change coming holy. Uh, early on in the chapter why don't I read the uh, first several verses chapter 4 of 1st Thessalonians finally then brethren we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of, the, of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we, have, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. See a concern here for um, both the, the Romans passage, shall we continue to sin? Uh, God forbid. And here, God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this not reject man but God. There's a concern that uh, believers in the New Testament that, that the Apostle Paul's writing to would 
stagnate or or re reject the change process to uh, go on living as, as they did prior to the gospel rescuing them from from sin and from death in their lives. Uh, that's there's just command to not do that. Uh, in other words, there's the command to change, uh, a, a encouragement to change, for to engage in the process of sanctification. Meaning, work, uh, you know, effort on the part of the believer. Uh, here we have it per presented as. Um, Possessing your vessel. Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust. Uh, and you have in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then you have this idea that we have been called not to uncleanness, but to holiness. So it's the present here and future. These are just passages, general, in general speaking of the topic of, of, the, of change, the process of change or sanctification in the life of a believer. Um, Romans 6, 1 Thessalonians 4, Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, is another one. These are very general uh, passages. And uh, let's skip over Timothy 2 for now because I don't think it's a particularly good example. Let's go to Hebrews 12. The end of the chapter, starting in verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and then burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure. 
what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem, and in, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who is registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, so that you see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have received, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and reverence and God, and God, with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. So, I'm not sure how much that passage really relates to sanctification other than the opening of it, but I read, kept reading to, for context sake, if I had read before the earlier part of the chapter, it was about discipline, God disciplining us. But, it's this uh, exhortation to pursue holiness, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which we will not see God. Sanctification really is the process of becoming holy in a etymological sense, the breakdown of the word. Uh, a saint, kind of the base there of sanctify. A saint is one who's holy. It's being made holy. So, so it starts to look at a few passages, particularly Romans 6 and Thessalonians 4, looking at the general the exhortation to to be holy in the Bible to believers. Um, this can get, get a little dicey because then you have, well, is there, is there, are we talking about works? Do we need, must we be working our way somewhere? Is, is, uh, or, or are we rescued um, by God outside in? You know, there's a lot of ways you could come at, at the cube, uh, ways of looking at the, you know, the scene of God working in the life of a believer and emphasizing different things. It's true that we we don't our, our righteousness is filthy rags. We can't come working our way towards God, um, and that's why uh, some people have thought it helpful to make a distinction of sanctification or the change process past and present and future but past and present in this case more so because past is a work that's done and accomplished uh, by God um, 
totally uh, apart from our effort of you know pursuing holiness. It's not us trying. It's God coming in and doing things in us. Uh, could be viewed almost uh, as synonymous to uh, salvation or it's part and parcel, not, not so much synonymous, but part and parcel of salvation. God works a change in the heart of a believer. When, when they move out of darkness into the kingdom of light, he does something. So let's see um, what kind of passages could we have that kind of talk about the past, maybe apart from human effort. Let's go back to Romans, earlier in Romans, Romans 4. Let's look at the bit about uh, Abraham at the beginning. What, verse 1 of Romans 4, what shall we say? that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So if you looked at, uh, at that passage, you see that the whole point he's making is it's not uh, something that Abraham's doing, uh, he's not working his way towards his, his righteousness, his justification. God is imputing righteousness to him apart from works. Well, he, he's going between Abraham and David. So verse six, just as David says, describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Uh, God does something. This is this is the salvation experience. This is the crux of the, the gospel message that through a work, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as a sinless sacrifice, God is able to rescue, to save many sons and daughters, and. In, in 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 our lives, in in, a, in an instant, in a moment of time, he transforms things. He changes the heart. He brings life where there is death. And it is very much so a uh, and a thing that that doesn't involve our effort, but there's change. So there's there's a. There's no uh, human, we can't say, oh, I, that's why we use the term salvation, we're saved. Salvation, being saved is an outside in, it's, you know, the lifeguard saves you because you're out there drowning and you need help from the outside. Uh, 
that's a that's a portrayal of the past or sanctification the change process in the believer in the past but then you have just like you can have that you can have a different kind of portrayal in the present where the believer is an active agent and that pursue you know we've we read several of those pursue holiness but um shall we look at another passage uh, about the past that I, that uh yeah, let's look at uh, Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. I think this one's particularly telling, particularly helpful. Verse 9, do you, this is 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not do not be deceived? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there you have the change. So we were a whole list of various sins, um, all different kinds, but we are no longer change. We what 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 was the change? We were justified washed, sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So this is a past change. In a moment of time, I go from being, what through encountering Christ, I go from being a uh, fornicator, idolater, adulterer, to being sanctified. That is made holy to being justified, declared righteous, to being washed by Christ. Washed, not something I'm, I thought I'm not washing myself. Christ somehow has washed me, but ongoing to the present, I'm still going to have, in most cases, let's say, the those desires of the prior sinful life but I have a choice now in a way that I didn't maybe before because I was in bondage to sin slavery to sin I now have a choice to put into practice to make the effort to pursue holiness because I I have been set free from sin to be a slave of righteousness but I have to present myself to righteousness as a slave to righteousness, otherwise I continue in sin. That's an analogy I just <clears throat> using of Paul's in, in Romans. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm getting the sense that I am very scattered in my thinking on this particular topic, but we looked at some past uh Um, let's look at some idea of the 
pass where God is doing the work. You know, we just looked at a couple verses from Romans 4 and 1 Corinthians 6. God's doing it apart from our labor. Now let's look at the viewpoint where we're an active. We must labor at it. Some passages that show us that. Um, let's go back to Romans again later in Romans. I think it's not a. It's significant to point out it's later in, in the epistle because he uh, he slays the whole groundwork earlier in the epistle about the work of Christ, what Christ did on the cross for us. And then moves into how we have a therefore, you know, a responsibility because of what Christ did, because we've been saved. There's then effort on our part. Uh, so we're in the beginning of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He's going to go on to talk about various giftings that God has given different people, different gifts. But uh, the key verses are the first two of the chapter, 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So there's this effort on the believer, but it has to be an effort that's understood in the context of the gospel that we're not able to just work up change on our own. We're bound in sin, by sin, unless or until we are freed by Christ through the gospel message, through his work on the cross, where he, where he comes in and he washes us and he cleanses us. But that is an ongoing process. He's the healer or day by day. He continues to wash and cleanse us. But we play a part we have to present our body as to the process. We have to present ourselves to him to the process. It's, it's actually referred to as work. Uh, Philippians 2. It's a good example. Good passage. A couple verses here. 12 and 13, I believe. Of Philippians 2. Which really show this well.
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, this is Philippians 2.12, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this encouragement, exhortation to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Then verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you have me as the believer working and God working in me. And that's what's, that, that's in a nutshell, I think, the change process present in the life of the believer. Yes, there was a change past, you know, at, at the beginning of one's walk with the Lord, where I were, were given a new heart, um, a new mind. There's, there's some instantaneous change, but in the present, there's uh, this process whereby God is working in us and we are working out, pursuing holiness, uh, moving to be more like Christ. Um, that's uh, two views. There's also a, a futuristic kind of view on change, and that's uh, what we can, in this present state on earth, kind of can look forward towards um, a day that, that's uh, different, where, you know, there's one day all things are restored, evils removed and taken out of the question, uh, you know, suffering is, is removed, and, and it's a it's an end of things as we know them. The, the world ends as we know it at a future date, and uh, we're we're part of that process. There's change in us at a future date where the uh, struggle with sin maybe is not so much of a struggle anymore because there's been another change. Uh, we see glimpses of that, we see portrayal of that kind of thing, but let's uh, let's just look at, uh, oh, where are we? Hmm, a passage, why don't we just, we're, we're in Philippians, so let's look over to the next chapter. Paul is kind of talking about um, the future for in his own life. Uh, where are we here? Sort of in the middle of the chapter, it can start. And uh, we'll just start in verse 10. It's kind of in the middle of what he's saying, but it's backed up a little bit enough, I think, to give context to 
the key verses here, that I, as is Paul, may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this, even this, to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to be working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my longed, beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So, this is a kind of mix of the present and future, but you do see the glimpses of the future in there, particularly in verse uh, 12 and 21, where, uh, maybe not 12, exactly I was but he's talking about 11 yeah 11 and 12 and then down 21 he's talking about a few, the future resurrection which is a future event so it's, it's a time where <coughs> we don't really have time to look at passages on that but it's a it's a future time where where believers um, after they've died come back uh, to life and, and live again in in bodily form before God where our bodies are resurrected and uh, when their the bodies are not like these bodies subject to uh, all the corrupting forces of this world entropy and all and whatnot they're not bodies that are falling apart, in essence, aging and falling apart. And uh, Paul's talking about that time, but not 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 in a physical sense about you know body aging, but in a moral sense. He's talking about in the present, pressing on, um, striving to be mature having the mind of Christ, uh, following the example of those who are living that way because we're citizens of heaven. You know, many of the things that we, we just looked at as a present, in a present time, there's an effort on our part, but God is also working through us. He's talking about this future time, which doesn't seem to sound much 
like we're going to have much to do with it. But by any means, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained or already per am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Or dropping down to 21. Who will transform our lowly body, that it will be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So that's really three views. A past where, where God rescues us from sin, from death, where we encounter his life. Um, and we're changed. Given something happens on the inside. Then there's uh, present, uh, ongoing working out of our our salvation, God working in us, us as an active agent. There's a there's a labor going on, pursuing we're pursuing it, and then there's this future time where God uh, does something uh, by according to His. He will transform our lowly body, that is, that we may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Philippians 4.21 says, being made perfect in a future time where maybe this struggle that we have in a present with sin is no more. Um, or certainly not the same that it is now. So those are kind of uh, the three views. Now, now there was two more, th there was an issue I brought up at the beginning. Well, what about uh, in the present, in the life of a believer? You know, yes, there's a tremendous event of salvation where there's a rescue and a transformation. Well, what about change and the change process healing process and a life of a believer that's more analogous to a, a rushing torrent reshaping the bed in a, of a river in the moment of time versus the slow reshaping of the daily flow um, do we where do we see well, we've seen plenty of the daily you know the slow change and watch again i think the, the good analogy that of physical healing where there's the bandaging and dressing of a wound and over time the scar remains and there's it's a good it's a good example because you need people's help you need the, the care of, of of good nursing right that that's the idea that that uh, and then it's healing but you're not, what are you doing to heal it? You're, you're just applying your, you know, the physical therapy, the, the things that, that your the doctor tells you to do, but the healing happens. You're not actually doing it, but you're doing it. You're an active agent. It's very similar to how we work. We're working out our salvation, but God is working in us. Um, so we've looked at enough examples of the slower kind of process, but... Is there any grounds, biblical grounds, for a catastrophic type of process? Um, we see that much more 
with uh, the salvation accounts. Um, if you learn to go to Acts, several places in Acts you have Paul, the apostle, giving his testimony about how God just really changed him. Uh, in a in a moment of time in uh, let's find one of them it's a little slow let's just look at the chapter 22 where he's telling this before um, several where is where are we now I think he's he's addressing a mob yeah. He's saying, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So he had some issues. You know. he, he was going around binding people, delivering them to, to death, to prison and to death, trying to stamp out uh, Christianity in its earliest form. It was called the way. It was really a, a branch of Judaism. And, and he belonged to a different branch, you know, the Pharisaical branch of Judaism. And he was trying to put an end to this other branch. So now it happened as, where are we here? As also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders for whom, whom I received. So from the Sanhedrin, he received letters to the brethren and, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So he's going, he's, he's trying to, he must have some anger issue because he's, he's having no trouble binding men, women. Uh, what did he say? Did he say children? No, he says men and women. So binding them and, and, wanting them to be punished, executed even, and, and going far away to other cities. So he was doing this in Jerusalem, where, where he was at the time, but now he's going to travel and do this elsewhere. So he's making this a, a mission. But what happens is, uh, now it happened as I journeyed, this is verse 6, and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. He stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men what you have seen and heard. So, in a moment, his heart has changed. 
at in that passage if you look at it in, earlier in Acts. I think we should because I think this really gets to the crux crux of the issue. That's him telling it. But if you actually look at the account of it when this is going on. You have Ananias, this is Acts 9, 17, went his way and entered the house where Saul is, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So then he had received, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Uh, the be filled with he he the phrase be filled with the Holy Spirit is an important part here because um, those who talk about uh, sanctification and emphasize it within Christianity today to my the Christianity that I am aware of and and, and interact with which is really probably only a small corner of Christianity. I'm, I'm in America and I, I'm not, I'm in, a, you know, Protestant circles. So it's a small corner of Christianity, but this Christianity where, where it gets talked about, uh, change, the change process, uh, ongoing in the life of the believer as, um, uh, kind of, Catastrophic is not the right word, but um, yeah, momentous and uh, not incremental, but uh, yeah, all at once, wholesale change in someone's life. The Holy Spirit is is what's being talked about. So people are, you know, generally how it might work is, you know, an altar call, come to the front, you know, be touched by the Holy Spirit, be delivered today from such and such and uh, clearly there's biblical uh, some biblical precedent for this because you see that's what happens with Paul right the Holy Spirit comes into his life his heart is completely changed there where there was hate and the desire to, to kill and bind people up total paradigm shift um, I mean, it's just a little phrase here in the passage, but I guess it is significant because uh, we see other changes in people throughout Acts. Could go to many passages, probably where the Holy Spirit shows up, and uh, people are just different than they were uh, prior. Not necessarily with you know, that they're living more holy lives, but that they, where they were meek, they become bold, where they were just, there's power, the Holy Spirit shows up in power in people's lives, and they're clearly different. They're, they're not who they were prior. That That's just a, read Acts. It's, it's small book, 28 chapters, most of them short. Holy Spirit's a big, majoring 
feature, uh, features majorly Max. Um, what we don't, what we don't have, um, I'm not well prepared for this particular video because I, I don't know uh, where or if it even exists teaching. I don't think there is. Uh, but I'm, I'm going out on a limb because I, I haven't really researched it, but I don't believe there is explicit teaching at, to the effect of uh, all at once, wholesale change, bam. That's an ongoing process in the life of the believer. Yes, we see that. That's what the teaching on salvation is. It's a rescue by God uh, at salvation. But as far as ongoing, um, just don't know uh, that uh, I don't believe there is. So in the in the teaching in the epistles, the process is always portrayed as a slow incremental thing, where we are submitting ourselves to Christ, to righteousness, and God is working in us to, to move towards righteousness. We are putting off this and putting on this. God is empowering and enabling it, and we're moving towards it. It's not portrayed as catastrophic change. The catastrophic change is portrayed in the teaching passages in the epistles uh, related to the, to the gospel and the initial changing of ourselves. So if you look, let's just look at Titus 2, toward the end of Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is verse 11. Now I'm in 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, that no one despise you. There's a whole thing in a nutshell. But, but uh, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then you have in the present, teaching us that denying godliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously in this present, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So you have past, present, and then looking forward, the appearing of Christ. That passage really had, had nothing to do with the point I was making before I read it, which was a catastrophic change in the in our lives with, with the gospel. Um, but it does nicely summarize all, all three views of, of a past, a present, and a future change. Past there was change, present there's change, and the future. And uh, it all mediated by... Uh, God working in us and, uh, 
via the gospel. The passage that, that I am aware of that I read earlier, do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians uh, 9. Uh, not 9, but 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. You know, such were some of you. Remember that passage? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That's a past in the name of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. That's a past all, all at once kind of catastrophic event where something happened. Um, so there's one tension. Slow incremental change through effort on the part of the believer, God working through the believer, um, sort of a classic mode of sanctification juxtaposed against, um, obviously that's the one I have scriptures to present. That's the one that we see throughout the whole of the New Testament. This other idea of um, powerful, all at once change, being touched by God and changed in a moment. Um, what the best place I could say to root that viewpoint in Scripture is Acts, where you have the Holy Spirit showing up <clears throat> throughout the book and, and just changing people. Paul's the prime example that I, I showed that popped into my mind. Um, going forward in the New Testament, we don't see, I don't, I'm not aware of, and I don't think there's much, I don't think there is actually any teaching on, in the epistles on the, you know, in a moment of time, being touched by God and transformed and freed from something, delivered from that, this or that. Uh, I think what we see is the slow prodding incremental change process over and over presented in, in the epistles. The gospel presented, put off, put on, change in the Christian life. So those are two tensions. That, that, that there is both in scripture in different places, but in the church today you have both uh, understandings, maybe in one church, people who approach it from two different perspectives. And you may have tension between them, whereas a group that's a slow, incremental product, we find that the group that's emphasizing, you know, come be touched by, by Jesus today and, and be delivered, be freed from, you know, X sin. Then you find a group that's proclaiming that unhelpful to people because <clears throat> it misses the idea that there's continued ongoing effort on the part of the believer. Uh, but enough said on that. That's a tension. The other tension that I want to touch on before we end this video is whether or not 
uh, believers actually uh, reach a state of sinless perfection on earth prior to this end view of sanctification as I painted it before where we enter into glory so to speak we have a new body we're resurrected we, we enter heaven uh, after death there are passages uh, particularly in the Gospel of 1st John which would seem to indicate that uh, that sinless perfection is something possible here on earth and uh, maybe something that we are must reach as believers and if we don't we uh, we missed it somehow let's look at those passages particularly in chapter 3 but also in chapter 5 so 1st John 3 read 6 through 9 or maybe we can read 4 through 9 because a little bit of context whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness this is 1st John 3 4 now 5 and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin whoever abides in him does not sin whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him little children let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Kind of pretty strong statements, right? Verse 6, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever abides in him, we're talking about Jesus, does not sin. Uh, and if you flip over to chapter 5, verse 18, you have, we know, 5.18 of 1 John, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So there's three, at least three, places to twice in chapter 3 and once in chapter 5 where it's this explicit statement if you're part of the, the, the believer doesn't sin right so there's not sinning you get the the from these passages you can get a few points that talk about a believer not if you're really a true believer or if you're really you know believer class A you will reach the state where you no longer sin. You will not be sinning in this world, in this present time. And uh, that is taught. Um, and I'll just state my position, that which is that that's not true. Um, it's also taught that, that that will never happen in this life. So they're both taught. This is the passage primary passage where this that that teaching comes from reaching sense perfection from first John um, this is uh, not true um, why do I say that because 
it's inconsistent with other understandings of scripture. First off, it's inconsistent with uh, teaching from this same letter, 1 John. So if you look first chapter of this letter, you have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Explicit statement that if believers have sin and they need to confess it. So that's, that's a contrast to begin with. Uh, another is just the example in lives of people in the Bible, you know, key players in the Bible. Um, you know, let's uh, just look at uh, Peter. Uh, you have Peter in the Gospels, you know, messing up, you know, more than one place. Um, and in Matthew 16, he takes Jesus aside and tells him, you know, you're not going to, your plan of going to Jerusalem and being turned over to the Romans, that, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus rebukes him and tells get behind me, Satan. Um, you know, later on, he denies Jesus uh, three times. He repents after that and is restored. Um, did he stop sinning though? No, because much later, uh, after the church has been established, you have an account where he's sinning in Galatians 2, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, confronts him about his sin verbally in front of others. Uh, that's uh, Galatians 2.11. So, if we did reach a state of sinless perfection in this age, you'd, you'd seem like you would at least see that. If anyone did, you'd see it in the lives of the apostles. But um, you just don't. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually, in Romans, goes on and on explicitly talking about his ongoing, continued struggle with sin. Uh, let's, let's read Romans 7. Uh, the end, or middle, let's say, 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's just, he's talking about the struggle with sin. I mean, you might say he might, he's talking about addiction. Oh, I want to do this, and I, I do the opposite. That's that's the experience in the life of every addict. Well, they, they don't want to keep, I mean, ultimately, they, let's not get into that. But on one level, they don't want to be the addict that they are. 
And obviously, I don't know what level they do, but uh, he's, he, he's talking about his life, if an ongoing struggle with sin. Paul, Peter, examples of that. Um, you have that explicit statement from First John, which I think is the more powerful evidence, but uh, taken together, the fact that you don't see sinless perfection in, in the lives of the giants of the, of the New Testament, Paul and Peter, see an, an ongoing, continuing struggle with sin throughout, uh, even claiming that they keep struggling with sin. Uh, and you have this statement that if you say you're not sinning, you're lying from First John. Those taken together, I only see one way that to, that those passages about not sinning in First John can't mean that we reach a state of sinless perfection. Because if they do, they contradict both what we see in examples, and they contradict the earlier teaching in First John. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, however they're understood, they can't. It can't be understood as reaching sinless perfection in this life. Now, others would disagree. Um, and others have said that you'll reach a state of sinless perfection. Some have tied it in with the Holy Spirit. Uh, others haven't. But um, that's enough. That summarizes pretty well the topic. We'll just back up uh, the review. The change process in the life of the believer portrayed in the New Testament, it's, it's mostly, it's called sanctification. That's the biblical term, depending on your translation, being made holy. It's viewed um, as a past done deal, something going on in the present, something that yet will go on in the future, uh, in different passages. It's sometimes viewed all three ways in one passage. It's a work that um, done by God alone, apart from us, in a past view, a work um, where we are an active agent doing, working towards it, but God is working in us. We're working together in the present. And then the future viewpoint where um, he's, he's doing the futures as far as I could see in any of the passages we read he's transforming us uh, transforming our lowly bodies right that's what we were reading in uh, was it Philippians yeah then so those are the three views then you have two tension points um, slow prodding is that the only way, um, or is there a catastrophic change in the life of the believer in the present, being touched by God in the in the muddle in the middle? No, not not they're not in the salvation sense, uh, not in a future change, but in the present age. Um, that's one tension, and another tension is: is there a state of sinless perfection? And I think I showed pretty clearly what I think about those on the second pretty strong 
I would say it's it's not a biblical teaching. It is unbiblical to teach. I would say uh, reaching the state of sinless perfection. As far as the catastrophic change and the slow change, I would say that the mo the model presented in the Bible is slow change. Um, but there are some examples of of catastrophic in in Acts. Um, Paul's a good example of that. And uh, I don't know that there is an example that isn't tied in with salvation. So it has problems. Definitely has problems. I bet you could. I don't know. I didn't research it well. So I don't think I should just say a position on that one. But uh, what's the point anyway? So it doesn't really matter what my position is. So let's just turn these things over to God. Um and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Um, we thank you for your life. That you came. You sent your son. Died for us. That you have rescued us. You have transferred us out of a kingdom of darkness into this ki your kingdom of light. Lord God, that we have been washed. We have been cleansed. We have been justified, sanctified. We, we thank you so much for rescue, for salvation. And Lord, in the present, we want to live our lives for you. Lord, there are many of us in your church, believers who are bound, cripplingly bound in sin, addiction, whatever it might be, bitterness, anger. Father God, I, I cry out to you that you would give us people to come alongside us who would hold us and mold us, who would put the word of God before us and, and, and help us to walk through change, the, the process of change as it's portrayed in the New Testaments, putting off, putting on, working, putting in effort, but you at the same time working through us or in us, making that effort possible, making change happen, working together in concert with you. I pray, Lord God, for people to come alongside hurting and, and lost people in, in, who know you, I guess not lost, but who know you but are just bound in the sin that so easily entangles. I cry out to you that your church would be a place of healing. And Lord God, where where there is um, an expectation and a hope of uh, being touched by you, a touch by you. Um, Lord God, I pray that you would touch people in their hearts where they need to be touched by you, that they would know you're there, um, that they would know your love. They would experience you, really, where they're crying and hurting and feeling lost and, and, and just bound in sin and and just pain. Father God, I pray that you would be there. You would touch people, your your sons and your daughters in their pain, that you would hold them. And Lord, spur them on towards the, the, your process of, of uh, putting off sin, pursuing holiness, 
and again, Lord, give them people. Your church is we're not meant to be alone. And, and Lord, we pray for mentors and people to walk beside us as we as we move towards you. Become holy. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. See you next time.